This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Some people pick out a word for their year. A word that they want to embody the year. Maybe they look back at the previous year and they say, hey, I don't want any more of that. I want to focus on this. I know uh, when I talk to people, oftentimes some people say, I want patience. Normally that's moms with young kids. Um, as they look at the year ahead, I want patience. Um, maybe it's, it's the word give. Maybe it's the word blessing. As you look ahead at 2023, what word would you like? If you could put a stamp on this word this year, what would you pick? It doesn't matter if you're a guest, and thank you for being here. My name is Paul. If you're a member, if you're just an attender. Or maybe you look back at last year and you're like, ooh, ooh, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I'm going to pick the opposite of that. I would like that this year. What word would you pick? Reboot. Reboot. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go. Reboot. I like that. Peace. I like the word peace. Restoration. Those are good words. Yeah. No one's going to say lottery, right? That would be weird. No. What about God, though? If you were to think of God in a word, what word would you pick? Awesome? A lot of times that answer comes from your experience. If you grew up in a church culture that was a bit abrasive or harsh or parenting-wise, you might think of God and you think of words like hard and wrath. Or maybe you didn't grow up in church, which is fine. Actually, that makes my job a whole lot easier. Um, And so your view of God comes through the filter of culture or Hollywood. And so you settle on a word. But what word do you think God would pick? If God could give you a word and say to you, hey, if you want to get me, get this word. If you want to understand me, I'll be right with you, Lance. If you want to understand me, hold on to this word. A very wise theologian, he had this to say. He said, it is hardly too much to say that the mind of God has in no word uttered itself And all that is in his heart more distinctly than in this one word. It's grace. The word is grace. In fact, at a very interesting moment in your Bible story, maybe you grew up reading the Bible or just familiar a little bit with the story. God's people, Israel, were in Egypt and they were in bondage. And he says, you know what, I'm going to set them free. I'm going to bring them out. And there's the 10 plagues and there's, there's Pharaoh and there's Moses. Let my people go. And there's the Red Sea and all these powerful moments. And God brings them this, to this mountain to experience a relationship with him. And as God and Moses are talking, the people are down below and they make themselves a golden calf. They make themselves a false idol. 
false worship. If I were God to be like, I'm done. I'm out. No, you're out. But as Moses is praying and reaching out to God for him to be patient, you know what God says to Moses? He says, Moses, I'm gracious. In the midst of your sin and your foolishness, in the midst of all the things, remember this about me. I'm gracious. And so today, I thought maybe we'd drill down on that word. Let's, let's leave with an understanding of grace. I mean, what do we sing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Yeah, but what does that mean? What does that word grace mean? I bring this up because as I've been bumping into some of you over the last couple months, I've heard things like this. Pastor, I'm trying. I'm trying. Pastor, I'm so tired. I look on some of your faces and I see frustration. I see someone who's been beat. And you're laboring at whatever it is you think you're supposed to be laboring at, whether as a husband or as a mom or as a child or as a worker, and you feel like you're not moving forward. And you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying. Let me give you a word. Grace. So today, why don't we look at what grace is? Let's, let's talk about what grace does. And then how you can plug into it. Shall we? Now, you need to understand something. I'm very excited about the next 30 minutes. Okay? The reason I'm excited about the next 30 minutes is about what happened in the last service. And some of you know and some of you don't know. But about 10 minutes into my introduction, there was a massive and all our electrical guys and our safety guys and our sound guys, they're all like, everyone's all, what's going on? And things powered down on the stage. There's a massive, massive breaker back in the students' room, the lab room, where all the teenagers are. And you might think, well, that was dumb. Why did you put them or that there? From that main hub, okay, it, the power then goes out to various sub-panels throughout the building, okay? And there's one specifically that tripped, and it's the one that powers the stage. You're like, well, what is God saying to you? <laughs> well, I think we're going to find out today where God's power really comes from, because it doesn't come from speakers, and it doesn't come from instruments. What powers the church is what God does through the church. And so as I'm busy trying to illustrate, I think God was like, <laughs> he's gonna love this. <laughs> so why don't we look at grace a little bit? Now, in your notes, if you're a guest or you haven't been here for a while, uh, there's a, a note sheet. 
It's a way for you to write some things down that might be helpful for you in our time. Maybe I'll list a Bible verse that you want to look up, and there's a space for you to write that down. Or maybe through the course of our study, there's more questions that you encounter, because we're going to talk about some deep, heavy stuff, and you might kind of collide with some of it. Well, write those questions down, and you can reach out to me directly, and we can sit and help you move through that. And there's also some soul questions on the back of that guide. But what is grace? How can we understand grace this morning? Let me talk about that. But before I do, and especially in light of this morning, let me pray. Let me pray. Oh, great Father God, you are gracious, you are merciful, you are slow in anger, you are abounding in steadfast love. Would you power up the message this morning? Would you empower the singing this morning? Would you awaken hearts and minds this morning as we plug into you? Would you make yourself known to our guests? Would you give them peace, a sense of welcome? To those who've been away, would you give them a feeling of home? Make yourself known. May we encounter your grace today. Open our hearts and minds to behold the beautiful things that are in your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, grace. What is grace? What is grace? Literally, the word grace means gift. It just means gift. It's the Greek word for gift. Okay? Like you gift something to someone. And you're like, all right, I get that. But let's look at it through the filter of three specific expressions. Maybe three metaphors will help us grab a hold of God's grace. One one metaphor, one expression, uh, the rays of the sun, okay? When you think of grace, think of rays. And I'll, I'll, I'll tease this out in a little bit, okay? Sunlight that lights your day. Not the warmth, the light. Because of the light, I can maneuver what's around me. I don't trip, I don't fall, I can see. That's one way of understanding God's grace. I want to show it to you in a little bit in the passage. Another way that we can maybe envision God's grace is the air current that moves the big 19th century tall ships, the whaling ships, the ships of the line. Can you imagine them in your mind? The massive, massive hulls and the big masts and all that canvas. Why is all that canvas there? So the air current can grab it and empower it and move that ship forward. That's another way of understanding God's grace. Okay, so we have rays, we have air current. And another way to understand grace is the energy that charges your phone. The energy that charges your phone. Okay? God's rays, air, current, energy. Okay? Let's open that up. About two o'clock, some of you will get this. In Titus chapter two, let's look at it together. Nikki's going to have verses up on the screen for you so you can follow along. Maybe you brought a Bible. That's awesome. Big fan. Big fan. Titus is a very small book. It's only a few chapters. It's in the New Testament. So it can be a little tricky to find. So sometimes if you start on this side, you can work your way a little bit over a little bit easier. Titus chapter 2 is going to help us understand grace this morning. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Again, Nikki will have them up there, but it's awesome if you follow along. If you're watching online, uh, you'll be able to see the verses on your screen. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Let me read them for you. I'm going to read them a couple times. For the grace of God has appeared, 
bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Let me read that again, okay? Let me read it one more time. You follow along. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in the present age. Okay? In that verse, through the three ideas that I mentioned, we're going to see grace doing a few things. And if you're someone who likes to write insights down, here's one that I would write down from this passage. It's a sentence we're going to break down into a few parts. The first thing that I would write down is this. God's grace saves, teaches, and empowers us. Dot, dot, dot. We're going to add a little bit more later. God's grace saves, it teaches, and empowers us, dot, dot, dot. It saves. It says in this passage, for the grace of God has appeared saving. Okay? There used to be a time when you got your cell phone and it didn't come charged. How many of you remember that? Yeah, you'd buy it and they take it. You think, all right, when you go home, you're going to have to plug it in, let it charge for a few hours, and then you can open it up. Now, they're like, no, 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 no. We want you texting and scrolling as soon as you get in the car. We want you to just do those things now. So as when you go buy a phone, you, it comes already charged up. But what happens to that phone as you use it? And so eventually, what do you have to do? You have to plug it in. Okay. You don't come to the table charged as a human being, spiritually speaking. In fact, you come to the table as a human being dead. That battery is dead, spiritually speaking. This is what happens when you open up that passage in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2 and 3, and Adam and Eve are before God. And he says, hey, don't pick from that tree because when you do, you will die. We as humanity have experienced spiritual death. It doesn't mean we're not alive physically. We're not alive spiritually. That phone has to be plugged in. And so when it says grace has appeared, God has now made saving grace available to you. Appeared. Think of Christmas. Think of Christmas Eve. Think of Easter morning. In fact, that's one of the reasons this passage was read by the early church during the Christmas season. For the grace of God has appeared. That saving grace of God, that restoring, healing, rescuing act of God is Jesus in the manger. Is Jesus upon the cross doing what? Saving me. Here I am in the deadness of my soul. And God comes along in his graciousness and plugs in. And what starts to happen? What starts to happen? If you've been doing this as long as I have, and you've been with individuals in these moments, you actually can see something in their eyes. You'll actually see it in their face. You see it in their smile. 
as all of a sudden the graciousness of God, the energy of God surges into that soul and what was once dead now comes alive. And they start to feel things that they hadn't felt before. They start to see things they hadn't seen before. They start to do things that they hadn't done before. They're a different husband. They're a different mother. They're a different employee. I once was one way and now I'm something else. And he was in between. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And maybe you remember the moment. Maybe you remember the moment when God in his grace plugged into your soul. One of the things that grace does is it saves. We as a church family have been reading through the Bible together. We started January 1. If that's something that you'd like to plug into, uh, in the back of your notes, there's a tear-off card. On one side's a communication, on the other side's a reading guide. Kind of let you know where we've been reading through the month of January. But today, Acts 15, where you will read, have read, is an important exchange. It talks about a moment in the early church. The early church was born Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. His first followers were Jewish. Jews have a custom. They have a way. They have a culture. They have clothes. They have a dietary habit. They have a weekly rhythm that's unique to the Jewish culture. What started to happen in the early church was others, not Jewish, began to join the story. God started plugging into them, called Gentiles. Guess what? How many of you here are Jews? Oh, that would have been cool. Um, we're all Gentiles. This is awesome. God plugged into us. And the church doesn't know how to deal with this because all their experience of this place, God works through the Jews. God works through the Jews. God works. Through, God plugs into the Jews. We're the Jews. Why is he plugging into them for? And so some of them thought, you know what? We need to make, they need to act like Jews. So they need to dress like Jews and eat like Jews. And guys, you're all going to get circumcised. So let's all line up. Um, true story. True story. And the apostle Paul stands up and says, whoa, slow this thing down. And all the Gentile guys are like, whoo. Um, why are we going to saddle them? with keeping laws that we can't even keep. It's the grace of God that is saving us, just like it's saving them. Paul notices something. It's grace that saves. If you grew up in church a little bit, there's a passage that's really helpful for you. And this might be one you want to read later in that other passage right down, or you can follow along. This is in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Kind of brings all of these ideas together that we've been looking at. Ephesians is a little bit more to the left if you were in Titus. Not a lot bigger, but a little bit bigger. Give you a chance to find it or write it down. I'll read it for you. Ephesians 2. I'm going to read verses 1 down through 10. That's Ephesians big number 2, little 1 through 10. Okay. love hearing the sound of pages. That's awesome. Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't get saved. I don't do that. He does it to me. He plugs into me his graciousness and his kindness. By grace, I am saved. It's his act to me. One of the things that grace does is that grace saves by faith. Well, in the sentence that we wrote down, God's grace saves and it teaches. It teaches. So let's talk about teaching. Teaching, training us to renounce is what it says back in Titus chapter 2. So let's add to that sentence. God's grace saves, teaches, and empowers us to dot, dot, dot. Say no to evil. One of the things that grace teaches us is to say no to evil. You might want to write that down on your page. Say no to evil. We're going to add one more phrase at the end. Saying no to evil. Sunlight comes upon the earth and all that was dark is now seen. where there was tripping and stumbling and falling, unable to maneuver the path ahead. We kind of lack an appreciation for that because at nighttime, we just light everything up. Unless you live on Maple Crest, there's like no street lamps on that street, okay? But for the most part, if, we, if it's dark, what can we do? We'll turn on a light. Phone's got a light. But imagine a time where you couldn't turn on a light. You couldn't see anything until the sun rose. Those Rays of the sun, that light, enables me to see what I was tripping over. Enables me to see the path that's ahead. It teaches. This is a teaching term, an instructing term. One of the things that grace does is it teaches me what not to do. It shows me how I've been destroying my marriage. It shows me how to speak to other human beings. It shows me sin in all of its treachery and its deceitfulness. It trains me in two specific areas. Okay? There's an inner work. There is an undoing that grace has to bring about. A growing in grace. How many of you would testify to the fact, those of you who've been following Jesus for a while, that you're different now than when you started following Christ? Grace does that. 
You didn't do it. Grace does that. And maybe there's some people that have bumped into you. Wow, you, you used to talk this way. You used to do these things. I used to drink that. I used to eat that. I used to go here. I used to. But grace showed me. It's grace that teaches. How many of you wish grace would teach faster sometimes? Right? Can we get through this lesson like now? My dad was a teacher. I'm like, come on, dad, let's move this along. Sometimes we're like, Grace, come on, Grace, could we do this a little bit faster? God knows the journey. God knows what needs to happen, when it needs to happen, how it needs to happen. Grace is a mighty teacher. But it teaches me to say no to an inner working. There's things on the inside. While at the same time, to say no to and renounce, what is it? Worldly passions. I think that word worldly is real important in Titus chapter 2. The sun comes and it enlightens what's in the world because we are surrounded by a worldly thing. It has a culture about it. It has a custom and a current about it. You breathe it in. You see it. You swim in it. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And the follower of Jesus is learning how to, by God's grace, resist that worldly passions. There are certain things that we need to say no to. Grace does that. Give yourself some grace, I like to say. Because people have had to say that to me. So grace saves, grace teaches me to say no, and grace empowers. In what way does grace empower? To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. All right, so say no to evil, say yes to life. Maybe you want to write that down. Grace empowers me to say yes to life. Say yes to life. Mighty tall ships of the 19th century. Ships of the line, whaling ships, massive hulls, big masts, great canvas. Putting up as much canvas as they possibly can. Why? So they can catch those air currents that move them across the vast waters. Maybe you can hear the waves. Maybe you can feel the breeze. Maybe you can smell the salt. What grace does is grace empowers us to live and say yes to life. If you were back in that passage in Titus, Titus chapter 2, here's the cool thing. Right before Titus Chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, okay, is verses 1 through 10. Isn't that neat? That entire section, because you have to key into that word for, for the grace of God means, that means as a reader, I need to see what's ahead of it, what came before it, what came before the for, okay? He goes through the church and he highlights different groups of people. He highlights old men, Older women, younger women, younger men. Okay, those are the four options. There aren't others. Okay, older, older, younger, younger. And he speaks to them a little bit directly. So as I read through this passage, if you find yourself in one of those groups, if you're an older guy, okay, listen, if you're an older woman, okay, if you're a younger woman, listen, if you're a younger, and if you don't know which one of those you are, after church, we can have a talk with the elders. Um, just kidding. Listen into these passages. What is it that the gospel is asking me to do? As for you, teach 
What accords with sound doctrine? That means teach a way of life that's consistent with what Jesus expects of us. Older men, okay, if you're an older guy, you're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Notice that word self-controlled. Sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent. Likewise meaning in the same way. Reverent in behavior. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so, here's the next group. Train the younger women to love their husbands and children. To be, what's that word again? Self-controlled. Pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Fourth group. Likewise, urge the younger men, be self-controlled, period. Like, that's it. I got three teenage boys, right? I mean, that's the word, right? Dude, just, just let's get it together. Self-controlled. Did you see how that word came up again and again and again? Older men, be self-controlled. Hey, older women, would you help the younger women learn to be self-controlled? Younger guys, let's be self-controlled. He then goes and he talks about those who are indentured servants and slaves, bond servants, on how they're to act. And all of a sudden you see this thing that's called living the gospel and you're like, oh, that looks hard. That looks hard. But what does he follow it up with? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. One of the things that grace does is it empowers me to say yes to the things that are life. In one, self-controlled, in myself. What are the things that I need to be? What are the things that I need to become? Upright. That's my relationships with others. Okay? Grace empowers me to live rightly with others. Love, joy, peace, grace, kindness, goodness, all these wonderful things that God said, hey, this is the gospel. And godly, meaning my relationship with God. Grace is what empowers me to say yes to those things. To say yes to right decisions. To say yes to sacrifice. To say yes to love. To say yes to generosity. To say yes to holiness. It's grace that empowers those things. When? When does it happen? Today. It's for today. It's not for when Jesus comes back. For present living. For right now. All that you need to do today in your relationship with Christ. It's grace that empowers it. As a husband, as a wife, as a daughter, as an employee, as a neighbor, as a good citizen. It's grace that empowers that. All right, so how, 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 how do we do that? How do we, how do we tap into that? Because that sounds like it's a big deal. Like, how do we, that thing, how do we, Let's see if we can't nail this down, okay? If you were with me last week, how do we put some bricks in the right place? John Wesley. How many of you recognize that name? John Wesley. All right, cool. Uh, John Wesley. Great Anglican. A few hundred years ago. In England. Devout. Loves God. 
has a very, very intimate, heartwarming experience with the gospel. Life is transformed and changed. Begins to develop a method of following Christ. And there's certain things that we should do. Discipleship groups and, and, and bands and course and gathering together in worship. And this begins out of the Anglican church to turn into a, a church movement all itself that we call Methodism. Some of you come from a Methodist tradition, okay? Translated here into the United States. Spread like wildfire. It's a beautiful tradition, beautiful faith. Uh, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. He coined a phrase called the means of grace. Meaning these are the instruments by which a follower of Jesus will experience God's grace. Ways that you can plug into, tap into, step into the sunlight, put up sail. Okay? So let me give you some of these suggestions. Ways that you can experience more grace in your life. Number one is the word of God. The word of God. You find Jesus' grace in Jesus' words. Some of you are experiencing that in new, fresh ways. You've been reading with us together in our annual reading program. You're reading a few chapters a day. You're asking questions. And whether you can see it or not, feel it or not, God's grace is being imparted into your soul. That battery is charging. He's showing you things in your life. He's empowering patience and kindness in your walk with others. That's what it does. Another means of grace, what we call the sacraments. Here's two big ones. Baptism. We experience God's grace at baptism as we're obedient to baptism. That's how we start following Jesus. The Lord's table is a means of grace. John Wesley had such a high view of Eucharist, communion, Lord's table, this space that we share once a month, that he and his band of friends would go and find every single church they could find in England, around the London area, so that he could have communion there. Because he so highly believed that grace was given at the table. And that should kind of make sense if you think about it. I mean, it's not, they're not magic cookies and magic juice, right? Okay. But there's a grace by which Jesus meets us at the table. A transforming gift of his. I mean, a sacrament is a physical thing that helps us understand a spiritual thing. And so uh, I see bread and he feeds my soul. I taste the juice. And he washes and strengthens me anew. You could think of prayer. Prayer is a wonderful means of grace. Worship, a powerful means of grace. Play this out. Think of the inverse. Because what I bump into on a weekly basis is the opposite. I bump into people who are not walking in the means of grace. They're the ones that often get a hold of me. I mean, just take a plant that's supposed to be in the sunlight and go hide it in a closet for a while. Right? What happens to that plant? Yeah. Except in this situation, the marriage starts to fail. Suffers at work. Problems with the neighbors. Not happy. Frustrated. As this, this is shriveling, shriveling of the soul. I talk for a living. 
And so I'll ask them. They don't like me asking. And I'm seldom surprised. Hey, you reading scripture? Nah, I don't read scripture. How about prayer? You have a regular prayer habit? Yeah, I'm not praying. How about worship? I don't, I'm, I'm not seeing you worship uh, on a weekly basis. Are you going? Nah, I got things to do. And so should I be surprised as, as one who cares for the souls of others that, that soul is shrinking and it's shriveling and there's an angst inside as it cuts itself off from the grace of God. He would call these uh, the means of piety, things that I do in my relationship up. Maybe these are ways for you to engage. You say, I would like more grace in my life. No, I want less grace. I want more grace in my life. All right, so how am I reading? How am I praying? How am I engaging with followers of Jesus Christ? But there's others. He would talk about the means of mercy, that, that grace comes by serving and helping others. <coughs> also, here in a few weeks, uh, on a Sunday morning, we're going to have a ministry fair. You'll, you'll come in, there'll be tables in the various departments of the church. They'll have tables set up and, and ways that you could plug in. And maybe you don't serve on a regular basis. Here's an opportunity for you to serve others. On February 7th and February 14th, Shoes for the Shoeless is going to be doing their program. Uh, was it Washington and Spring Creek, Karen? Those two? Uh, so here's a great program. And we've done this. We did it twice here. During the, during the pandemic, amazing opportunity. Kids come, they get clean socks. They get a brand new pair of shoes. A way to be the hands and feet of Jesus to kids and families in their greatest moments of need. I mean, they line it up hours and hours beforehand. Okay? Well, now we have the opportunity. We're gonna go into the schools and we're gonna join with them. And so there's a sign up. Karen has a sign up back at the round table and connection point, whether you wanna serve. I think there, it's a Tuesday it's a Tuesday, so for those of you I know that's a difficult, or maybe you're like, you know what, I want to engage in this, this means of grace. I'm going to take work off. But we'll go into the schools, and maybe you'll help carrying or maybe help fitting kids for shoes. But this is, this is what we do. And I might not feel different, but I probably will as God's grace surges into my life and empowers me to move forward. Maybe you could find a way to serve if you want to engage in God's grace a little bit more or serving more. Think of everything that is your life. The weight of it, the heaviness of it, the hardness of it. This is you, January 15th. 2023. And you're tired of moving it. It's gotten heavier than you'd ever thought possible. The weight of the future, the crushing reality of the present. You can feel it in your shoulders, can't you? You feel it in your soul. Hold on to that for me. There's a story that some of you read about this week on a man named Nehemiah who's trying to help Israel build the walls around Jerusalem. They'd been torn down by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar before that. And he'd been invited to go back and rebuild the walls again. This is a tremendous task. A tremendous task for anyone. I'm gonna rebuild the walls of a city. I mean, 
This is the apron of protection that goes around a city. This is what keeps the bad out and the good in. Cities are big, city walls are a big, big deal, a big, big deal. And so he begins to rally the people to the task. And as you can imagine, the forces of evil that surround Jerusalem and have kind of had a power hold there aren't too keen on him rebuilding the capital's walls. And so adversaries come against God's people and there's propaganda schemes and there's frustrations. Boy, aren't the, there's just so much rubble, isn't there? There's just so much to do, isn't there? You should probably stop. You're not gonna be able to pull this off. It's so muddy. The task of is so heavy, isn't it? And this, like a good viral lie, works its way in and throughout of the people until, yeah, they succumb to the truth. We can't do this. We can't do this. I can't do this. And Nehemiah, in a moment of leadership and strength and grace, says this, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. So maybe this morning, it's time to make grace your word for the year. Maybe your word for life. Maybe you've never plugged in to his kindness and his forgiveness. Give yourself over to the goodness of Jesus. Let him renew you from the inside out. Let grace teach you to say no. Let him empower you to say yes to life. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless. <laughs>